0: hello there this is david back again with another episode of the blood and fire radio podcast this is episode number 91 and it's a bit of a special treat it's a themed episode i actually put it out there on the facebook page to just kind of see what themes you guys might want to hear got some feedback from that so i am uh gonna follow that feedback and the theme for tonight's episode is sequel songs which is basically I'm gonna play um, nine different artists and two songs from each of those artists because I'm gonna play the original song that they released and then the one that's like part two in the series Um, I do like when bands do that sometimes they do it on the same record there's gonna be examples of that on the episode and uh, other bands will do it many records later They'll release part two of you know a certain song title, and uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting to hear them side by side and just see how they tie together, if at all. Sometimes that just doesn't work, and sometimes uh, they, it has the same feel as the original and things like that. So, pretty cool idea. So thank you, Dave, for that idea. So yeah, there's a lot of like kind of classic bands, like well-known bands on this episode. There's a lot less kind of underground stuff here. Um, I'm sure I've left out some important ones that you feel free to email me and say hey you should have played this one. you should have played that one because I could uh, file that info away and uh, maybe do a second second theme episode like this down the line and and utilize some of those suggestions So, but I did my best it was pretty fun because I actually revisited some older you know songs that I maybe haven't listened to in a while so it's kind of a cool cool thing to put this one together. So here we go. Let's start this off. This band is out of California. They've been around since 81. The band is Slayer. And I never really knew that these two songs were linked together. Um, I was just kind of researching bands that have songs that are sequels to other songs. And uh, yeah, I had no idea that these two songs were linked um, lyrically. Uh, The two songs are Chemical Warfare and Ghosts of War. So we're going to start off with Chemical Warfare. This was on the Haunting the Chapel EP, which came out in 84 through Metal Blade Records. And yeah, this is only a year after Show No Mercy, but Show No Mercy really still had a lot of uh, almost kind of new wave of British heavy metal vibes within it. Um, but already just a year later on Haunting the Chapel they were already starting to get uh, more aggressive and then they just kinda kept getting more aggressive from there and it kinda culminated on uh, Rain and Blood but um but yeah so this is a a nice longer song by Slayers standards but it's a classic and uh, with good reason so really good song I've been playing this song on drums since I was like 16 17 I learned it and uh, it's just a fun one to play just fast and furious So. Here we go, off of haunting the chapel, this is Slayer with Chemical Warfare.
1: Multi death from chemicals, Eren gets one. Annihilation must be swift, the soil without destruction. Cats the throne must be washing from hell, waging a massive aside. Soldiers defeated by death in the smell, bodies like dome and no light. Rising, you sons from the Diminished from this hell, vanish from the dying world, the lords of hell awake. Dogs of war are helpless, break to immortality. Gather the movements we watch, we fell, waging the mouset aside. Soldiers defeated in hell from the spell, bodies like dormant, no life. Rising your souls from the land where they fell, demons are ready to die. Ah!
0: Slayer with Chemical Warfare and uh, as I said the companion piece to that song is the song Ghosts of War and that came out on the South of Heaven album four years later so we had a couple of releases in between Um, they had the Live Undead release and then Rain and Blood and then got to South of Heaven and this song Ghosts of War lyrically is uh, kind of following the storyline of Chemical Warfare and I had no idea they were linked um but it makes sense because especially in more recent years in their tours they were playing them back to back and now it kind of makes sense why Uh, i actually saw them play this live and it was uh it was excellent but uh yes came out on south of heaven from 1988 on def jam recordings of course this album was kind of known for being a lot slower than their uh previous releases but it has some of their most memorable songs on there, so, including my favorite Slayer song of all time, which is Silent Scream. But uh, yeah, so this was kind of fun to, uh, to discover that this actually goes with Chemical Warfare, but it makes sense, so here we go. Off of South of Heaven, this is Slayer with Ghosts of War. <laughs> That was Slayer with Ghosts of War. That's a great song. Um, I really have to crank the hell out of those two songs because they're just mastered so quiet, which was kind of, I mean, it's mastered at a normal volume for the 80s. Nowadays, uh, these albums are just cranked way the hell up. But, uh, all right, let's move on. We're going still in the USA, still in California. This band formed in 83 by Dave Mustaine after he was fired from Metallica. So... That would be Megadeth, of course, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this one. Um, the first of these songs is going to be Hangar 18, and the second one will be Return to Hanger, which came out uh, 11 years after. So, totally different lineups on both of those songs, and it kind of shows, but um, they're both good tunes, they're both good tunes. It's hard to beat the original, though. The original one is, of course, a classic. Uh, it's always in their set list. It's always kind of... Uh, this one and tornado of souls I'd say are kind of the two songs that if you're going to be playing lead guitar for Megadeth you have to nail those songs otherwise you're going to get booed off the stage pretty much so over the years some of their other guitar players have kind of uh, taken some liberties here and there with some of the other solos and the other songs and not really played them exact but when it comes to this song you have to get it exact because the twin lead guitar back and forth solos and the second half of the song is really what makes the song and um, I, I really don't know if there was anything quite like that in 1990 that I can think of. Um, it was just such an excellent display of, uh, of just great, great guitar work, but um, really good song. Of course, this is when they had Nick Menza and Marty Friedman in the band, and it was just a magical time. Great lineup. So off of 1990's Rust in Peace, this is Megadeth with Hangar 18. There we have it. That was Megadeth with Hangar 18. You know, one thing that people kind of underrate is um, how cool the riffs are underneath those solos. Like, we're so focused on the solos in the second half of that song, but truly the rhythm guitar parts underneath are great. Um, But yes, they made a sequel to that song in 2001 on the album The World Needs a Hero. It was their ninth album and that came out through Sanctuary Records. I think it might have been their only release through Sanctuary Records which is now a defunct label I believe but yes they released this song return to hangar and as I said the lineup was uh, was very different instead of Nick Menza and Marty Friedman they had Jimmy DeGrasso on drums who was very very good um, and Al Petrelli on lead guitar and Al Petrelli was known for kinda his work with uh, Savatage and um, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra and yeah he kinda had his own style for sure you know, he's an East Coast guy, uh, he was just kind of an odd fit for Megadeth, but um, he he had basically just been filling in for Marty Friedman for some shows whenever Marty was kind of going through some troubles and on his way out of the band and couldn't decide if he wanted to stay or go type thing, and then whenever Marty uh, just kind of said, I've had enough, I can't do it anymore, then they just kind of called him up on very, very short notice and said, alright, it's your turn, you know, full time, so get ready. And uh, But yeah, the, he was only there for, uh, for this album. Dave Mustaine said that he thinks he's a phenomenal guitar player when it comes to playing other people's riffs and solos, but he wasn't the biggest fan of Al Petrelli's uh, solos that he wrote himself uh, on this album. I don't know why. I mean, they're a little bit basic, I guess. Al Petrelli likes to do a lot of big bends, you know. Uh, he does, He's not much of a shredder. He's a little more expressive with, you know, with, like I said, big bends of, of the strings and things like that. So maybe it just wasn't uh, shreddy enough for, for Dave's liking, but I still really like a lot of Al Petrelli's, uh solos on this record. Overall, they don't quite match up to the original uh, Hangar 18, but... The rhythms and everything has the same feel as the original song, so it does make sense that this is kind of a companion piece to Hanger 18. Still some cool lead guitar work at the end, and uh, yeah, so here we go. Off of The World Needs a Hero from 2001, this is Megadeth with Return to Hanger. That was Megadeth with Return to Hangar. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people really hail Dave Mustaine as this kind of guitar god, and I, I would agree with that when it comes to songwriting and, and, you know, his riff writing. Solo-wise, he really has done the same stuff, like the same licks, a lot, like over and over again through his entire career, and I never really hear anybody talk about that. <laughs> the fact that he kind of recycles the same things uh in his solos over and over again and some might just argue that oh that's just his style but it's like well i guess <laughs> i guess that's his style but he's not he's not the most creative put it that way but um all right we're going to jump to the USA again out of Texas this is a doom band that's been around since 88 the band is solitude aeternus and they are excellent they play in the uh the very classic doom style much like uh, candlemass with kind of soaring clean vocals But uh, they have been around for quite some time, as I said, formed in 88, they were originally called Solitude before changing it to Solitude Eternus. But um, I must admit, I'm a big fan of their last album called Alone, Um, but I was not that well versed in the rest of their discography. I've heard bits and pieces from different albums, but I don't think I've ever just sat and listened to an older Solitude Eternus record from start to finish. Uh, So this one, these two songs specifically were suggested to me by uh, my friend Dave, who actually suggested the the theme for the entire episode, but he cited these songs uh, specifically. So I'm going to go ahead and play them. So the album, this one, you know, the other ones that I've played so far have had multiple albums in between the two songs. This one, they're literally side by side on the record, so you're getting one after another uh, on the same album. So two very different feels uh, to these songs and they just pair really well together and of course the fact that they have the same production because they're from the same album that helps as well so but it's a it's a really good pair of songs and uh, it really makes me want to check out more of their older stuff you know I I don't know why I haven't just laziness I guess but um, but yeah here we go the album is called Through the Darkest Hour came out in 94 it was their third album out of six released through Pavement Music So here we go. This is the first one of two. This is Solitude Eternus with The Eighth Day Morning. solitude eternus with the eighth day morning now we're going to jump to the uh, the next track on the album is called the ninth day awakening and this one actually picks up the pace a little bit it's a bit heavier you even get a little sitar action in there so it gives a totally different feel a different energy than uh, than that first tune um, the vocals are outstanding I mean Robert Lowe has always been uh, an excellent vocalist and he was excellent in candle Mass as well it's just a shame the way he got dismissed I mean it was perfectly understandable. Um, he, he got dismissed for just kind of not taking the live shows as seriously as he should I guess and, and kind of dr- drinking too much you know before the shows and being a bit of a mess on stage and there was even one performance uh, which there's pictures out there of it but he he was having trouble remembering lyrics so he literally performed the set with uh, holding a notebook in his hands <laughs> with the lyrics on it which is for a band of Candlemas's caliber uh, that's just not the not the level of professionalism that they wanted so uh, they ended up letting him go and, and he said oh they just they just fired the best vocalist they've ever had and he's right I mean Messiah Marklin is probably the most identifiable voice they've ever had but from a technical singing standpoint I'd say he is probably the most well-rounded and best vocalist they've ever had um, so yeah, it was a shame to, to see that partnership, uh, kind of dissipate. But, um, he did some good work with Candlemas, but he did some excellent work with Solitude Eternus and they've never officially kind of retired or called it quits or whatever. But, um, it seems that they're done. They haven't released anything since God, what year was that? Maybe 2006 when they released Alone. Um, cause I was an intern at the studio where they were recording that. I wasn't a part of that session, I was in a different mixing session on the other side of the studio uh, while they were tracking. and uh, But I remember they tracked that whole record on two inch tape and it was expensive. They they were talking about how unbelievably pricey the, the tape itself was, but it was worth it. Um, the sound was great and the songs on that album were excellent. But anyways, let's get to the point here. <laughs> Let's play the uh, the second half of this journey here. This is Solitude Eternus with the Ninth Day Awakening. <laughs> Go that was Solitude Eternus with the Ninth Day Awakening, really cool song. I love the riffing in that. John Perez, excellent riff writer. He actually owns a uh, a record shop and tattoo shop, like it's all in one. Uh, about twenty minutes away from where I live, so I uh, I do see him running the shop from time to time. I don't get in there as often as I'd like because I don't have the money to keep buying records all the time. But I wish I could get in there more often. It's a cool place. All right, we're jumping to Germany here. This band's been around since 86, and I love them. It is Blind Guardian. Um, I first got into Blind Guardian from listening to Iced Earth because uh, they always would thank Jagpanzer, and they would thank Blind Guardian in their liner notes, like on every album. So I just wanted to check out who those other bands were and fell in love with Blind Guardian and still love Blind Guardian. But, um they released a duo of songs on the same album back in 1992 the albums called somewhere far beyond it's their fourth album out of ten i believe they have now but this one came out through virgin records and uh... yeah the first one of these two songs is played live almost every time uh... it's a crowd favorite the crowd loves to sing along it's kind of a more melodic acoustic song and then the second one kind of you know brings back the distortion and all that but I don't really see them play the second one live hardly at all but this first one is a is a big time fan favorite so uh, the songs are the bard song and there's two different kind of subtitles so there's the bard song in the forest is the acoustic one and then the bard song the hobbit is the second one so we're going to jump into both of those now so off of 1992's somewhere far beyond this is blind guardian with the bard song in the forest guardian with the bard song in the forest beautiful song um the studio version here is played a lot faster than they tend to do it uh, live or at least the middle section of the song is a lot faster than they do it live and i actually like the way they do it live a bit better when it's slowed down like that it kind of gives the song a little more room to breathe but uh really just that whole song is driven by the vocals that vocal line and uh the vocal delivery is just excellent uh hansi kirsch is is one-of-a-kind for sure you can definitely tell it's him the moment he starts singing um... all right let's jump to part two here this one brings in the distortion it's not necessarily a fast song so it's not really picking up the pace from the first one but it's uh... it just kinda has that kind of slower um... just big epic vibe to it uh, great song great vocals so here we go this is part two here the bard song the hobbit Guardian with the bard song the Hobbit now some of you might be saying hey David how come you're not really talking as long in between songs or perhaps some of you are rejoicing at the fact that I'm not talking as long in between songs but the reason for that is just because there's more songs than normal on this episode there's 18 and compared to the usual 13 or 14 that I do of course the songs aren't as long as I would typically play But uh, regardless, just due to the sheer amount of songs, this is going to be a longer episode to begin with, so I really don't want to just yap too much and really drag things out even longer. So I'm trying to kind of move somewhat steady here. So we're jumping to the UK out of Suffolk, and this band's been around since 91, and that band is Cradle of Filth. and. This is one that, kind of like the Slayer songs that I played, is that I, of course, have heard both of these songs, but did not necessarily realize that they were attached to one another, that one was a sequel of the other. Um, The two songs in question here are Her Ghost in the Fog, which is one of the most well-known Cradle of Filth songs ever. Um, Great music video for that. Uh, that was from 2000's Midian album and then the the companion to that is a song called Swan Song for a Raven off of uh, 2004's Nymphetamine album. So yeah, I, I had no idea until I was researching for this episode and trying to find songs that kind of went together with one another that people were pointing out. This one mostly it's it's lyrically that makes them tie together. Uh, there's things referenced in "Swan Song for a Raven" that kind of uh, draw back to the lyrics for her "Ghost in the Fog." So, so yes, let's kick it off here. As I said, her "Ghost in the Fog" is one of the most well-known songs they have. Uh, the Midian album really launched them uh, in terms of being more mainstream and uh, earned them a record contract on a uh, on a major label after this one. So. But yeah, a lot of uh, press for this one, a lot of big tours that followed this one. It was their first album with uh, Adrian Erlandson on drums after Nick Barker had departed. So yeah, they kind of had something to prove, and um, they got Paul Allender back in the band for this album on guitar, and uh, so it was just kind of a, a bit of a rebirth for them. So uh, Off of 2000's Midian, this is Cradle of Filth with Her Ghost in the Fog.
1: I and it baby a nightmare She was on the milky white skin a little eagle So for all the weeds can the i yeah. yeah.
0: That was Cradle of Filth with her Ghosts in the Fog. Uh, Yeah, that was kind of the last album. Like I said, that was the first album of this kind of rebirth of theirs. They've had a few of those in their career. But I'd say the first, like the early records, they had more of a real like medieval, vampiric type look and vibe to them. And I'd say from Midian onwards, especially uh, on Nymphetamine, which is the record that this next song was off of, Is when they had kind of fully embraced that more modern like hot topic uh, type of goth just a lot of like latex you know like uh, vinyl clothes and stuff shiny vinyl clothes and uh, yet like Danny had dreadlocks at one point and it was just a it was a bad look man it was a bad look but um, but hey I mean they were popular so people liked it obviously But yeah, this next tune, Swan Song for a Raven, is off of Nymphetamine, which was their sixth album. They had one album in between uh, Midian and Nymphetamine. And they've got 12 records now. They're about to come out with their 13th this year, I believe. But uh, this was released in September of 04 through Roadrunner Records. And this song, it's a little bit longer. I want to say it's around a seven-minute song. It's not bad. It's uh, it's not as good as her Ghost in the Fog, much in the same way that, you know, with those Megadeth songs, how Return to Hanger kind of has the same vibe. As Hanger 18, but the original is just a much better song, much more memorable song, and that's kind of how I feel about this one, too. This isn't a bad tune, but Her Ghost in the Fog is just a much more memorable cut. But, anywho, let's go ahead and play it. So, off of 2004's Nymphetamine, this is Cradle of Filth with Swan Song for a Raven. we go that was cradle of filth with swan song for a raven i still think adrian erlandson was an odd choice um to replace nick barker but he did a good job on the records that he played on um I, i don't think he played the nicholas barker material that well live just in my opinion but on the on the records you know on which he played um i thought he was i thought he was great but um all right, let's jump to Sweden here. This is a uh, very well-known black metal band that's been around since 1990. The band is Marduk, and Marduk they released these kind of companion songs, um, not on the same record, but on kind of neighboring albums. So uh, they released this one on the second album, and then Part Two was on the third album. So Part Two I almost never listened to. It's not a bad song. It's just one that kind of, it's just kind of there. I, I, there's better songs on that album there's better songs on both of these albums honestly but the songs are Wolves and uh, Wolves 2 Untrodden Paths are the two songs and yeah I, they're not bad songs but on both of those albums there's much better tunes on there but yeah for some reason or another this uh, first one especially Wolves has become like a, a, a must play for them uh, in terms of their live set it's just something that the crowds always want to hear and it's fine, but there's just much better songs on that album. But um, the first one here, Wolves, came out on Those of the Unlight. Again, that's their second album. Came out in 93 through Osmo's Productions. And it's just kind of a, really the thing that makes this one a fan favorite, I think, is just the, the pace, the tempo. Because it's uh, there's, there's usually so much speed involved in Marduk songs that this one kind of slows it down, and it's more of just a mid-tempo, good, just head-banging tempo. So I think this is one that the crowds can just kind of let loose and headbang along to uh, in a live setting. So that makes sense to me. But uh, yes, certainly not a bad tune. I know I didn't didn't sound like I was giving it that glowing of an endorsement, but, uh, <laughs> but it's not a bad tune at all. But here we go off of 1993's Those of the Unlight. This is Marduk with Wolves. <laughs> That was Marduk with Wolves off of their second album, Those of the Unlight. Let's jump to the next one here, Wolves 2, Untrodden Paths. It's off of the album Opus Nocturne from 1994. It's their third record, also through Osmos Productions. It's also the last one to feature uh, this vocalist, Joachim Grave. Uh, He also played drums on uh, Those of the Unlight as well, so the song you just heard, he was playing drums and doing vocals. Uh, For this album, Opus Nocturne, it was their first album that they uh, enlisted Frederick Anderson on drums. Um, The production on this album is trash. It's just garbage, and it's probably my least listened to (laughs) Marduk album. I love Marduk, but this album, while it has some great songs on it, the production is garbage. And they even released a remastered version of it. And really, they need to remix it and before they remaster it. You know what I mean? Like, remastering it helped a little, but this thing needs a remix. Um, but yeah, so I think because of that, it's I don't listen to this album much. And uh, maybe that's why I kind of haven't appreciated this song as much. But uh, it's, it's not bad. There's better songs on this album, for sure. But um, I don't even really get the vibe that it just doesn't feel like. It goes with the song Wolves. I mean, other than the title, I don't really feel much resemblance. Um, But yeah, I don't know. That's just me. Maybe you guys are all about it. We'll see. (laughs) So here we go. Off of 1994's Opus Nocturne. This is Marduk with Wolves 2, Untrodden Paths. was Marduk with Wolves 2 Untrodden Paths off of Opus Nocturne. Yeah, other than that brief section where they reintroduce the riff from the first song, it just doesn't have the same feel at all. Um, still some cool riffs in there. Um, but yeah, I, I suggest you check out that album because there are some great songs on it, like if you haven't already heard it. But yeah, just keep in mind that the production is pretty, pretty thin. But yeah, um, yeah maybe it's just me that has an issue with that but anyways we're gonna jump to the Netherlands here this is a classic Death Doom band that's been around since 87 in one form or another the band is Asfix and they're still going uh, although they don't really have any original members left but whatever <laughs> bands can just do that these days I guess But yes, they have a song that is uh, their namesake, actually. They have a song called "Asphyx Forgotten War, and that came out in 92. And then all the way in 2009, way later, they released a a sequel song to that. It's called Asphix Two: They Died As They Lived. Um, And yeah, they are great songs, both of them separately. Um, This one, it's kind of like I was talking about the Marduk one, how they just didn't feel like they really fit together. These, even though there's so much time in between, and the production values are totally different, um, it feels normal (laughs) for them to be sequels to one another because Asphyx has never really deviated from their sound. So even though it's way later in the discography, their sound pretty much remained exactly the same um, the whole way through. Uh, This one, the first one, Asphyx, Forgotten War, is on the album Last One on Earth. It's their second album. came out in 1992 on Century Media Records. It also happens to be my favorite of theirs and probably the one I listen to the most. But yeah, both of these songs, I'd say the first one maybe more so than the second one, uh, are pretty consistently played in the live set. Um, It's kind of a fan favorite, this first one. But yeah, so let's jump right into it. Off of 1992's "Last One on Earth," this is Asphyx with Asphyx "Forgotten War." was fix with fix Forgotten War off of 1992's last one on earth such a great record love that guitar tone Eric Daniels has such an identifiable guitar tone and an identifiable riffing style um yeah he he's just kind of a key ingredient to that band him along with Bob backus um who's not the sharpest of drummers but like his kind of sloppy drumming style is kind of what makes Asfix sound like Asfix um So yeah, the fact that neither one of them are in the band these days, it's just a shame. It shows. The guys that are currently in there do a pretty good job, but it's just not the same. Um, You know, their newest one I like a little bit better, but generally speaking, I'd say the last two albums uh, just haven't done a whole lot for me. But uh, yeah, the companion piece to the song we just heard is As Fixed 2, They Died As They Lived, and that's off of the album Death, The Brutal Way which was kind of their comeback album. They were kind of... I don't think they were officially split up, but it was just kind of a hiatus thing, and Bob wasn't sure if he wanted to do it anymore. And then they got Martin Van Drunen back in the band, and uh, and Bob, you know, was on board. But Eric Daniels didn't want to be a part of it for whatever reason, so they got Paul from Hail of Bullets to be the new guitar player, and he's still the guitar player to this day. And he's very good. He, he has some big shoes to fill, you know, in Eric Daniels, but... Um, but he holds his own he does pretty well but uh... yeah this song it's definitely um, you know it's still death doom but it falls more on the doom side it stays pretty low and slow for the duration of the song but it's just got a clearer production a thicker production and it's just ballsy it's just really heavy throughout and uh... it's just a, a really really good tune. Um, death the brutal way came out in two thousand nine on century media records it was their seventh album out of ten this album was very good it was a good kind of return for them and then the album that followed it death hammer was just a masterpiece but um but yeah this one was was a really great announcement that they were back you know this album it was really good so here we go off of 2009's death the brutal way this is as Asfix with as Two. they died as they lived There we have it. That is Asphyx with Asphyx Two. They died as they lived. Very heavy. That outro reminds me of an outro for Krigsgrau that we did for uh, a song called "Under Trembling Stars." Kind of ended the same way, where everything else kind of faded down, but it was just the drums. Uh, to finish the song off, but anyways, we're jumping to Sweden here. This is a death metal band. has been around since '92. That has really risen to some uh, some pretty big highs here. Very popular these days. The band is Amon Marth and um, they had a couple of albums in between these two songs. But we all kind of knew that a part two was coming at some point. Um, they have, let's see, the Loki's Treachery song. So there's Loki's Treachery Part 1 and Loki's Treachery Part 2, but they have these subtitles. Part 1 is called Hermod's Ride to Hell, and Part 2 is called Tox Taunt. And uh, they came out uh, five years apart from each other, so there was an album in between. Um, this first one, Hermod's Ride to Hell, Loki's Treachery Part 1 was on the 2006 album With Odin On Our Side, which came out through Metal Blade. Uh, they have 11 albums now, so it's hard to believe that With Odin On Our Side is like considered to be in the middle of their discography up to this point. Because uh, for me, that that's kind of the start of the new era for them, because the albums prior to that were great albums, but they just hadn't quite reached this level of popularity yet. And then with the release of this album with odin on our side um, things just took off from there and it really is a fantastic record it's probably still my favorite of theirs Um, the production was perfect which is something that was kind of lacking on the older albums the production was great the songs were really well written really memorable Uh, the performances especially the drumming on it was just phenomenal and um, yeah it's just this album that kind of catapulted them into the spotlight from there and they've just tore their asses off since then and uh... you know you gotta whether you like them or not you gotta respect them because they're just they're out there that's they that's where they make their money and they're just out on the road all the time uh... but this song is kind of one of the slower ones on the uh... the album kind of more mid paced but um, it has a really great kind of and tempo to it and just kind of a, a melodic feel uh, throughout the song. Great song. I drum it a lot. <laughs> like, uh, not a lot, but it's one that I, you know, kind of mix into the practice routine from time to time. It's just a fun, easy one to play. So here we go off of 2006's With Odin on Our Side. This is Amana Marth with Hermud's Ride to Hell Loki's Treachery, Part 1. we go. That was Hermod's Ride to Hell, Loki's Treachery Part 1 off of the With Odin on Our Side record. Uh, part 2 is called Tox Taunt. Loki's Treachery Part 2 came out on the 2011 album Surter Rising through Metal Blade. It's their 8th album out of 11. And by this point they had kind of lost me. Um, you know, With Odin on Our Side was great and then they released uh, Twilight of the Thunder God which was pretty good. But not as good as with Odin on our side, and then uh, this one I just didn't—I just didn't really like. The songs to me weren't as memorable, and they were—they were starting to write songs because they were getting so popular and touring so much. They were starting to write songs, in my opinion, that were written solely for the purpose of like, we can get the crowd to chant along with us at this part, and this could be a part where the crowd can yell, "Hey, hey!" You know and raise you know pump their fists in the air or whatever there was a lot of like crowd pleasing chanty parts in there and it just felt like they were writing it for the for that purpose only you know what i mean like rather than just express themselves however they wanted to and let it play out however it plays out in a live setting they're kind of writing stuff specifically f- for crowd participation I don't know that to be true that's just kind of the vibe I got on this album and then the one that followed it and yeah they've kind of they've kind of got me back with the Yom's Viking album but then they lost me again with the newest one <laughs> I don't like the newest one at all so they're really hit and miss with me these days but uh, so this album is probably one that I've listened to the least um, but I mean it's not a bad song. It's still kind of mid-tempo, but it's a little more, slightly more intense uh, from a drumming standpoint, especially. But uh, it's a good tune. It's a good song. Uh, I don't necessarily think it feels the same as part one or feels like it's a continuation of part one, but lyrically it clearly is, but uh, musically, meh, you know, I don't, I don't think it is so much. But here we go off of 2011's Surtur Rising album. This is a Marth with Tox Taunt, Loki's Treachery, Part 2. That's Monomarth with Talks Taunt, Loki's Treachery Part 2. It's not a bad song. It's not, you know, it's not my favorite, but, you know, it's not bad either. And you might be saying, David, you're not really giving a lot of glowing reviews to some of these songs. That's true. That's true. I don't just play stuff that I love on this podcast. You know, I gotta play stuff for, for you guys. Stuff that you guys might like, whether I really love it or not. As Joe Dirt once said, it's not what you want, it's the consumer. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, let's go ahead and finish this out. So I've got two songs left here from one more band. Um, I'll introduce this first tune here and then I'll do my usual wrap-up that I do at the end of every episode. But this band is out of California in the USA been around since 87 although they existed from 83 to 87 under the name legacy the band is testament and they released their debut like for those of you that don't know legacy the band that was testament before they were called testament had um steve souza on vocals who then left legacy to join exodus and he actually introduced the other guys in testament to chuck billy so uh, they're all still friends, and they all kind of just are part of this big, big testament exodus family. <laughs> so I'm going to play a tune off of the debut. Uh, the album's called The Legacy. came out in 87 through Megaforce Records, and this was a huge one for me when I was in high school. Um, I was playing in, I guess it's technically a thrash band. I mean, we just kind of covered Metallica and Megadeth and Iced Earth songs and stuff, but um, I started getting more and more into the fast heavier stuff your Slayers and Destruction and Sodom and Testament was a big one um but yeah this debut was was a big one for me that I listened to a ton in high school Uh, but this song is one of the most fast and furious off of the debut it's called curse of the legions of death and this album is another one that could definitely use not just a remaster but a remix as well if they even still have the the main you know um, tracks from that but um but yeah i mean the production leaves a lot to be desired but the song is excellent the riffs are there vocals are great and uh yeah it's just short and sweet fast and heavy so here we go off of 1987's the legacy this is testament with curse of the legions of death it that's testament with curse of the legions of death an excellent song from an excellent album just chock full of memorable riffs and memorable tunes all right before i play part two of this i want to say thank you all for listening thanks for telling other people about the podcast if you want to tell somebody where they can listen they can listen online at Blood bloodandfireradio.podbean.com or on the free Podbean app or the entire catalog of episodes is on Spotify, so you can find it and follow it there. If you have any sort of feedback or suggestions or requests or anything like that, you can email me at bloodandfireradio@gmail.com. gmail.com. And of course, please find and like the Facebook page because any sort of updates uh, about new episodes and things like that, it's all going to be posted there this is how I got the idea for this theme um, for this episode was I posted it on the Facebook and and got some feedback from you guys out there and uh, and put it into action so uh, be sure and find and like the Facebook page so let's finish this off we got another testament tune here this album is called The Gathering from 1999 it was their eighth album out of 12 I think they're up to now but this came out through spitfire records um, this album was kind of a rebirth for them uh, so here i mean it's like 12 years after the debut so it's very separated from that first song but um, they released this song called legions of the dead and this album they actually had steve di giorgio on bass and they had james murphy on lead guitar who's kind of a legend in his own right and then they had dave lombardo on drums for this one album and which is pretty amazing that they were able to get him uh, to to record this, but uh, his drumming performance on this album is phenomenal. But uh, yeah, they were kind of just you know it's always been Chuck Billy and Eric Peterson, and uh, but then they started to kind of have this revolving door of members uh, from maybe '93 till '99, really. But um, but yeah, they they were kind of uh, like teetering on kind of being more of a death metal like chunky death metal type stuff on their previous album which was called demonic from 1997 but uh they kind of got back to some you know minor faster thrashy roots on this album the gathering but they still it's kind of a blend of of their styles up to that point that they just kind of put it all together perfectly on this album Uh, it's still possibly my favorite it might be but um But yeah, some really good tunes on this, really good drumming. This song is a really fun one to drum. This one's short and sweet and fast, and uh, this is kind of the companion. So we have Curse of the Legions of Death, and then this song here. So here we go, finishing it off from 1999's The Gathering album. This is Testament with Legions of the Dead. Cheers, everybody.